Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Joining me as ever, it's Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've had a few days to process the Man City match um, and kind of make myself okay with it. I mean, let's be honest, you're playing the champions of the league, the holders of the comp- uh, competition. Yeah, you probably can't beat yourself or the uh, the team up too much for it. Um, but it just feels like another year when a trophy looks, unless there's a remarkable few months ahead, another year in which a trophy evades Tottenham Hotspur. But uh, yeah, so we've got that to talk about. But we've also got uh, transfer wheeling and dealing. No Harry Redknapp involved, I don't think. Um, and yeah, what might come in the days ahead? Yeah, so obviously we'll start with transfers and there was only, you know, one player in the headlines on Sunday and that was Antonio Nusa. Obviously, uh, Spurs have been in talks with Club Bruges over a, a transfer deal for the Norwegian youngster and probably did look like Spurs were front of the queue uh, to sign the talented winger, but that's not going to be the case anymore. He is heading to London, but to Brentford now, uh, I think it's a move that's probably surprised quite a few, but obviously uh, the player and his camp have their reasons for it. Yeah, it's one of those where we can't lie. We all got very excited. We all watched lots of kind of YouTube compilations and highlights of him. We'd all kind of, I'm speaking for the world apparently in general, which is dangerous. Postacoglu uh, told a reporter off the other day when they said about, um, you know, what was the question? It was something like uh, Spurs fans are all really looking forward to seeing James Madison coming back. They want to know whether he's going to start. And he's like, have you polled every one of them? <laughs> it's like, well, no, we just assume. Um but yeah, with, with Noosa, it's very much the case of, um, I'm sure a lot of people, as included, were aware of him when he scored his um, record-breaking Champions League goal last season. But probably not too many of us have invested all of our time in watching the Belgian League um, in the last two seasons or so. So probably haven't seen in depth what he's like. Um, so of course, as all transfers are, and I'm very much including myself in this, you get very excited. Very talented young player, of course. Um, highly touted, spoken to many agents during this window who have all kind of wished they were representing him because he's a, you know, a real talent for the future. So we all yeah, get very excited about the potential uh, incoming there. And unfortunately, for Tottenham anyway, it kind of feels like he and his camp have actually made a decision for his development and kind of progress. Um, and... Yeah, it's 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 about his progression, and and I'd love to be kind of really angry and start like banging the desk in frustration at this. I can kind of see the logic from his point of view. It's a little bit like um, the flip side, I suppose, of the Radu Dragashin deal for Tottenham. Obviously, without the kind of the Spurs being the late one coming in, but um, he's choosing the team where he feels that he'll get more game time in the immediate future. Um, and Brentford were able to offer him more kind of guarantees over starts and playing time, whereas Spurs weren't. And, and this is the key thing. For all of the exciting stuff that you can read that we may have written about Antonio Nusa and the stuff that you will have seen on various compilation videos or highlights of games, he is very, 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 very raw. He has, I, kind of, I don't even think he started that many games this season. Um, he has had a, 
an injury uh, earlier on in the season. I can't remember, maybe a back injury. I'm trying to remember what it was now. But he is not a guy who is, at 18 years old, is starting every single game in the Belgian league. So to maybe have the idea that he is going to come straight into the Premier League and absolutely tear it up is probably a little bit... It's not going to happen yet. The hope is that it will. Of course, um, you know, there's a real hope that he's going to be a top, top player. And this is what we've spoken about in, in previous pods as well. But I think the idea that and certainly speaking to people in Belgium, that even in the next 18 months that he's going to become a superstar is probably a little bit premature. Um, you know, a fair few people I spoke to over there kind of felt, and it, actually people in the Norwegian side of things as well, because he is um, Norwegian, said that maybe he'd be the kind of person, a player that you would leave at Club Rouge for the rest of the season and the next season would loan him out again somewhere, maybe the next step up or something like that. So clearly... He's had the choice here of Brentford and Spurs, and Brentford have said, well, you know, next season we can give you time. We can give you a little bit of a progression into the Premier League. We'll play you. Whereas Spurs have been a bit like, uh, maybe. And they've been a little bit more kind of... Uh, and this is the thing, isn't it? Players pick up on that vibe, don't they? This is the thing with Dragushin. From the off, Spurs made him feel like he was the one. They chased him. He was their priority signing in the window. They wanted him through the door. So when Bayern came in... He was very much like, well, no, I kind of feel like Spurs have done all the chasing and I'll play more regularly there. So for Noosa, at 18 years old, and to have his camp, you know, presumably telling him as well, look, we, we think maybe your progression will be a bit better. And then maybe in a year or two's time, with no disrespect to Brentford, if you are smashing it with Brentford, those big clubs will still be there for you. Um, and they just felt like the step up to Spurs was a little bit too much too soon. And for all of the, you know, Pat Matissar's destiny of doggies of this world, there are a lot of other players that have come to Tottenham and kind of sunk without a trace. Or some of them, like Jack Clark, who we'll mention a little bit, has managed to kind of had to go away and then forge their career and build it back up again. So, And Brian Hill, obviously, is probably the perfect example right now of one of the most talented young players in Europe at the time, uh, certainly in Spain. And Spurs have kind of buried him haven't they really let's be honest and there's a, there's a chance he could even still leave the club this month um so i get it while it's very frustrating and it would have been fantastic to tie down this talent for the future you can't make him sign the deal you can't force his hand i've seen some people on social media saying you know that they just should have told him whatever just to get him in the door I was like no that's not that's not really best practice is it to absolutely like stuff a player before he's even joined I've seen some people saying it's all Spurs' fault. They've dragged on with a deal. I don't think you can pin that on this one. I really don't. Um, that's kind of a common theme. Most clubs, when they miss out on a player, it's kind of the fans will go down that route. And, and speaking to people involved in transfer deals, whether it be agents, managers, people around players or in clubs, that's not really something that is a thing so much. Um, there definitely what have been occasions. Uh, the one I'll always use is Jack Grealish. Uh, Spurs just messed around, messed around, messed around, didn't pay the price that Villa wanted. And what happened was the circumstances of Villa actually changed financially. They suddenly got that big cash boost and they didn't need to sell their best player suddenly. So yes, it can happen in those instances. But what I would say in normal deals like this, it's just a case of these clubs don't suddenly emerge from the woodwork like, oh, there looks like a good opportunity. On the whole, they're monitoring these players. Fans hate it when we use that word, monitoring but that's what clubs do. They, they wait around to see if another club gets close to a deal. Then while talking to the agent or the representatives in the background, they'll make their move. 
and obviously it felt like the clubs could do a deal. I think the deal, some of the deal details that I've been seeing, it is up around in all the 30 million mark, which we thought it might be, which again, and look, I don't want to sound like I'm doing down the player at all because he is going to be an incredible talent. I mean, you wrote a piece where he was being compa- compared to Neymar and, and things like that, but 30 million for a player that's got to be loaned back and might not be ready for the Premier League for another 18 months is a lot of money. It is. Um, Idogi and Saar, who are Premier League stars now, were both around the £15 million mark. Uh, even Brian Hill, I think he was about 25, 26, maybe, something like that. So this is a lot of money for a player who Spurs clearly don't feel is going to be ready yet. Um, and I don't think it was a case of the money. From everything I'm hearing, I, despite me saying that, I think they would have, you know, they would have brokered a deal for him. I think it's just the case of he felt his immediate progression was better spent at Brentford. And yeah, I, I, I mean, what do you make of it? You can't have any too many complaints, surely, when a player feels like that's his best next move. No, I think probably it's a shame from a Tottenham perspective, given obviously they've seen something in him and then they believe that he can be, you know, a big, big player for the club in the future. But fair play to the player in his camp because uh, they've obviously got the head screwed on sometimes. It's quite rare, age. isn't it? It's quite yeah, rare for them to go. The agents yeah. as well like, push them towards the bigger club. Yeah, push them towards the bigger clubs, push them to where towards where probably the, the most amount of money is, but yeah, like I said, fair play. They've they clearly think that moving to Brentford is the best option in terms of his development. Because let's be honest, he's probably he's going to get more game time at uh, Brentford rather than Spurs, considering the amount of players Tottenham having those attacking areas. And we've seen players go to Brentford before and they've got a really good manager in Thomas Frank, built a really, yeah. really good team and some of those players who he maybe has plucked from nowhere have become, you know, Premier League stars and just look at Brighton as well I think in yeah. terms of transfers with probably unknown players coming from abroad, those are the two clubs who do it best and we've seen Brighton sell Alexis McAllister, Moises Caicedo, uh, Kukurea for huge, huge amounts of money. So if he can, you know, continue to progress his current rate, then you'd think clubs will be there for him in uh, the coming seasons. But I think I've seen it recently. Uh, someone was mentioning maybe you do get the players who jump at the biggest club at the very first opportunity. And I'd probably say in that instance, maybe you can't blame them because I'm sure there's been a number of examples in the past where there have been players who have been linked with the top clubs, not made the move, and then the career's not gone as the planned, and they've ended up going down the divisions rather than up yeah. the divisions. It's a big decision. It is a big decision. Huge, huge, huge decision. But I think, you know, Brentford, you'd think, oh, God, be playing Premier League football uh, at the moment. and know they've had... A bit of a rotten run of late, but uh, one in the last game uh, against Nottingham Forest when Ivan Tony uh, came back and, you know, he's going to score the goals. So you'd imagine there will be a Premier League club uh, next season. And yeah, they've got a lot of young players there. Thomas Frank will give them the game time. So as I said, fair play to the player in the camp. Yeah. And, and look, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal have all been looking at him as well. And he's not going to any of those. So that kind of maybe tells you something as well that either A, they didn't feel he was ready yet, or B, 
that he kind of made it clear to them as well that it's not quite right the time yet. Um, and I think I can understand why Spurs wouldn't be able to guarantee him a certain amount of playing time because let's be honest, he's predominantly left. He can play across the, the front three, but he's predominantly on the left. You've got one of like the world's best players <laughs> playing on the left in Sonny at the moment. Yes, of course, he can play in other positions, but predominantly you're going to see, I think, him through the on the left. You've got Timo Werner, who I wouldn't be shocked if they signed permanently at the end of this season because the deal is such a good one. Um, you know, he could be average for the rest of the season and they'd probably be able to sell him for more than the 15.5 million that is the, the clause to sign him. Um, you've got uh, Mana Solomon can play down that wing. You've got Brennan Johnson can play down that wing. You've got um, Brian Hill can play down that right wing. Richarlison. Um, as well. Of course. <laughs> yeah, so Richarlison. There are. There are. And even, you know, Kudusevsky, I think, can play on that wing, but never seems to. Um, Lacelso can play there. Madison can play. Honestly, they've got so many players that can play on the left wing that I can kind of understand the logic behind. Look, and I know how fans' minds work. We, we've seen it enough. They'll be thinking right now, yeah, but he's better than all of those. But it's like, but he's not. He's a kid that isn't even starting matches in the Belgian league right now. So he's not going to come straight in and immediately, you know, make his place in that team. Adogi and Saar were both starting. Well, Adogi was starting every single game for Udinese. Um, Pat Matasar was starting probably 75% of the matches for Mets. Um, so these aren't players, and those are decent leagues as well. It's not to, you know, to, to kind of poo-poo the Belgian league. <laughs> it's a strange expression. Um, but, you know, it is probably beneath those leagues. We said Belgium's below the French league, I would say, yeah, maybe yeah. in people's minds and standing, isn't it? So, yeah, to not even be starting that in that kind of league, and again, I really don't want to make this sound like I'm going, oh, they haven't signed him because he's rubbish. And it's like, I'm absolutely not. He's a fantastic young talent. I'm just saying he's not quite ready yet. Um, would have been absolutely delighted if he'd signed, of course. But yeah, I can kind of understand the the logic behind him going to Brentford right now. And also, I've seen some people saying, yeah, but they've got lots of people in their squad. Again, we don't know what that squad's going to look like um, come the end of next summer. You know, a lot of people obviously talk about Ivan Tony. Is Ivan Tony going to be at Brentford next season? <laughs> it's, it's maybe unlikely. Um, and we don't know what's going to happen with their other options, but definitely the pathway is a bit clearer for him at Brentford than it is at Tottenham. Yeah, very much so. Right. So in terms of the transfer window, transfer window closes for business Thursday evening, 11pm. That means there's only a few days left now for Ange Postacoglu and Tottenham and then the rest of the Premier League to strengthen their, the squads if they wish. With Noosa heading to Brentford, are Spurs done in terms of incomings? Could we potentially see another one coming through the door? I think it's it's such a cliche, but you can never rule it out because, oh, in the famous words of a former Spurs um, sporting director, Steve Hitchin, that video, January is the window of opportunity. Um, was it Amazon? It was yeah. It was a documentary. Said that didn't he? Along with other stuff that he got slaughtered for, uh, which was a bit out of context. Um, yeah, it is the window of opportunity. So you do, in these next few days, windows of opportunity will are, are suddenly open for players um, and suddenly will close for others. Of course, I would have thought they'll keep looking for a couple of these, um, or certainly one, maybe young loan back signing deal like the Noosa one. 
uh, whether it be, you know, we know there's a string of players in the championship that they really like. Um, Jonathan Rowe, of course, is one of them been watching. Um, Hayden Hackney, they've shown some interest in as well at Middlesbrough. Certainly in the past, Adam Wharton in the past as well. I'm not sure how recent that's been. I think Palace showing quite a bit of interest in him right now. Uh, at Juventus, Samuel Eiling Jr. is another young player they've monitored for a long time, using that word monitored. Um, yeah, whether, whether there's a deal for that kind of player, um, potentially. I think... Oh, and, and no one ever wants to hear like we're done kind of thing but I do actually think and Postacoglu has said this repeatedly he's got out of this window already what he wanted he wanted those two kind of priorities which was the centre-back and an attacking player that can play across the front three and he got them so it, it's weird it's 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 that old cliche isn't it had they done those two deals at the end of this window We'd have been going, brilliant, yay, oh, just what they needed, while also moaning, why did it take you so long? Um, whereas in this kind of capacity, it's a little bit like the summer window, although there was still some more they could have done at the end of the summer window, namely that centre-back position. But they got the business done early this month, as they did in the summer, uh, meant that they could incorporate into the team, meant that they could train earlier. But it just means you get to this end of the transfer window, and you're like, well, we want more, where's the rest? Um, and of course, they can always improve. Could they, you know, personally, could I kind of feel, yeah, you, you could sign another like a goal scoring striker through the middle, one of those types. I would personally, I would love to see that. But is that something maybe with Richarlison and Sonny able to play through the middle and Valise, who I saw doing some running yesterday on the Hotspur Way pitches? Um, have you got enough in that position for the rest of this season when you're only playing the Premier League? I would imagine so. Uh, and then in the summer, you look at another big kind of number nine type that can maybe come in. So, yeah, if there aren't any more signings that are for the first... And let's be honest, if Noose had come in, he wasn't coming into the, the team anyway now. Uh, he was going back to um, to Club Bruges. So, yeah, I, I don't think it could be too many complaints. Um, I'm sure there will, <laughs> but there can't be too many. In terms, I don't think Postacoglu will be complaining. The other one, of course, the most obvious one that everyone's been banging about on about for ages is Conor Gallagher and whether there's a potential window right at the end to have a go and see what they uh, whether Chelsea are that desperate with financial fair play that they need to sell um, an academy product like that. I would find that so bizarre, though, for them. He starts every game. He plays almost every minute. He's their captain for most of these games. Pochettino doesn't want to lose him. Player has no like desire to leave Chelsea. If he if he has to be forced out, I mean that is that shows kind of almost how Chelsea have allowed themselves to be run, I guess, in recent years. Um, I would be I would be surprised. You can't rule it out entirely because you don't know how desperate Chelsea are going to get come the end of the window. But also it being tied into Hoybier is another thing that causes an issue because I don't think a lot of the clubs that are linked with Hoybier can afford to um, sign him. Well, certainly permanently. Um, I know there's been talk about is Edison at Atalanta as well as another potential um, midfield option. Certainly in the Italian media have been touting him. For me, he's more of a defensive midfielder. I'd be surprised at that. I mean, it may be a case of just securing a young player for the years to come, but feels a bit more like a number six to me. Yeah, it does score a few goals. Got about six goals this season. But I feel like you're bringing another number six into a crowded area when you really need a number eight. Um, but yeah, yeah, we'll see what the coming days bring. I mean, what do you reckon will happen in these next, uh, was it three or four days? Uh, 
I think if there's going to be an incoming, it's like you said, might be a young talent for the future who's then learned back to his previous club. I think Spurs are done for incomings unless there's a late twist in the tail at some point. I think for the Conor Gallagher deal, I think probably too much needs to happen in the space of a couple of days. I think that just complicates things. I think if Spurs are going to be active in the market, then it probably will be in terms of outgoings, as there are a few players who could do with heading elsewhere uh, for the remainder of the season, just to get some you know, regular minutes in the tank. But if Tottenham aren't to sign anyone between now and 11pm on Thursday, I still hope you know, fans judge the window as a positive one, because a lot of football fans judge how successful a transfer window is by how many you can get in on deadline day. But Spurs have done the business, you know, right away in the transfer window to, you know, players they really needed to bring in as as well to strengthen those areas. So I think for me, it has been a really, really successful window. And maybe like it was in the summer, maybe if the signings were spaced out a bit more, uh, people might say it a bit more positively. But I think it's early positive what Tottenham have done in the uh, transfer window so far and I think they put themselves in a good position you know to go into the summer market knowing what they need to do uh, as well Have other clubs been that busy? I'm trying to think uh, Spurs must be one um, of the most active I think Spurs probably are the most active I think like mm. Sheffield United might have brought in a couple of players I think Man City have signed a young lad from Argentina for the future the same at Brighton as well but the vast majority of clubs have just stood still in the market. And these are clubs who probably need to do a bit of business as well in terms of bringing in a player to help them, you know, push on in what remains of the season. But I think a lot of clubs are probably just petrified of, you know, overspending given what's happened at Everton and what's happened at Nottingham Forest as well with those charges. And clubs don't want to be in the same boat as them. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a reason why it has been. So, so quiet because I mean, in previous Januaries, you know, it's just non stop really from January the 1st till right till the end of the month, but just not to be the case this year. No, I was just looking through, I've just found a list of all of the like the clubs and, and the Premier League and who signed who. Most of them are recalled from loan. That's yeah. most of them yeah. under the INS column are recalled from loan. Certainly the big clubs, um, if they have signed anyone, they've gone elsewhere on loan or they've remained on loan at clubs. I genuinely think Spurs might have signed more first-team players than anyone else, as in ready for the first team right now. Um, obviously, Brentford got Regulon on loan. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Villa had signed a couple, unless I've missed, but they've only got... I, I think they signed a young lad, did they, the other day from... So that Red Star Belgrade or somewhere like that. Yeah, maybe this hasn't been updated recently. But um, Calvin Phillips obviously went to West Ham. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Spurs have to be up there. Oh yeah, Brereton Diaz went to Sheffield United, didn't he? Um, I remember when Spurs had a little look at him a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, Spurs kind of feels like they're the ones that have actually um, really kind of tried to go for it and and... I hate to use it, but back the manager. They've, they've tried to do what he wanted in this window. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was trying to think if you if there's anyone, if you, even you'd bring in a like a striker on a loan move just for the rest of the season, like another backup for the for the number nine role. But I don't know whether I don't get the impression that 
Postacoglu is someone that takes people on a like a oh we'll just have him for a few months to cover us kind of guy. I think he wants people kind of invested in the system and and even Werner we've mentioned this before. Everything the words around and the way Werner's been talking in interviews and the way Postacoglu's speaking about him, it almost sounds like they're already thinking he's there for the long term rather than just this season. Um, and yeah, like I said, there's enough cover for the number nine. I don't think look Spurs. There could be another ridiculous injury crisis and they could end up with Fraser Forster up front. But who knows? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be. I don't think I'd be absolutely devastated or, or even disappointed if there's no more signings in the remainder of the window because I think they've created a squad that is able to do um, what it has to, I think, for the remainder of the season. Bearing in mind, what, they've got 17 games 17, left? 17, yep. Um, as much as we'd like to, to be in other games with cup competitions and the like, um, it is just those 17 games. I think it is a squad fit for purpose for that, especially with everyone coming back. Um, yeah, it's just a case of who goes out the door. Who do you think will go out the door before uh, the end of Thursday? Uh, I think there'll be a move for Brian Hill. I think there needs to be, really, because, let's be honest, uh, he's not going to get in ahead of Timo Werner on the left, and then, then you've got Son to come back. Dane Scarlett was preferred to him uh, in the closing yeah. minutes of the Man City game as well. Solomon. Solomon as well to come back. Mm. There's so many options there to play on, you know, either wing. So I think for uh, Brian, he probably just needs a low move. And I know there was reports of interest from Brighton the other day. That'd yeah. be a really, really good move for him because you'd imagine he'd play and the opportunity to play regularly in the Premier League as well. I think that would certainly help the player and I think it helps Spurs out uh, as well because you know how good Roberto De Zerbi is at developing players. So I think there'll be a move for Brian Hill. I'd like to think there'd be a move for Ryan Sessegnon as well because I think Ben Davis coming back yeah. probably quicker than we anticipated from injury. There's cover there on the left. Emerson plays on the left as well uh, if needed. So there's a lot of options on the left. And then one of Alfie Whiteman or Brandon Austin maybe. You don't need four first-team goalkeepers in We've said it before on a few of these podcasts. Both those players are 25 now and they've literally yeah. barely got any first-team uh, appearances to the name. So I think it's Alfie's the one who's contracted until end of next season, Austin's this season. So you think if it's one of the two, then it'd be Whiteman. And then you could maybe see a couple of the young players heading out on loan. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's spot on. I think, um, yeah, Brian Hill... He doesn't really want to go. He wants to fight for his place, but I just worry for him. I don't see where the minutes come from. And like you say, bringing Dane Scarlett on the other night, just back from injury, he'd only been training for a day or two. I think that kind of said quite a lot about how much uh, Postacoglu felt that Scarlett could provide more of a goal threat. Um, and that's not great uh, for, for Brian Hill. Sess, uh, it's a case, I guess, of whether he is fit enough and ready to go. Um, if he is... Which I mean, the, he um, what did he say? I asked about him the other day. Um, Postacoglu said I think he, he would be. They were hoping for this week he was going to be back in training with them. I think it was. Um, so yeah, even cynically, getting him out on loan and getting him minutes so that maybe they sell him next summer. Um, Sess just needs a restart. However that comes, he needs a restart in his career. Uh, hopefully, you know, it may well be that it still comes at Spurs. It may be as a great second half of the season and Andrew's a proper look at him in the summer when he's actually fit enough to have a look at him. 
um, and, and he can kind of prove himself. But it's just been, you know, it'll be five years since he joined in the summer, half a decade, and he has not played the amount of games that kind of to justify the move for him. And again, it's it's. Uh, I was about to kind of use the Noosa comparison about making the right choice, but to be fair to Ryan Session, he had his pick of all of the like the top clubs, didn't he? Really, at that point, and I just feel with him, it just started. It just started with an injury, didn't he? Euros under twenty ones before he'd even joined, like officially come to the club, uh, he'd he'd already got an injury he was arriving with, and it was a hamstring one. It just kind of went from there. So, yeah, I'd loan him out um, if there's an opportunity, just purely because, yeah, he's like third choice in left-back spot, probably about fourth or fifth for the left-wing spot, so why not? Um, yeah, the goalkeeping situation. I'd be interested to see whether they offer another deal to Brandon Austin or not. Um, that might dictate whether Alfie Whiteman goes or not. Um, and then, yeah, young players, you're looking at the likes of Junson Bell. Um, maybe Niall John if they can find a move for him. Um, I would be stunned if someone like Jamie Donnelly or Alfie Dorrington went out purely because of the cover that they bring to the first team at the moment. Um, Jamie Donnelly had a little bit of a hamstring issue that it meant he's missed the last game or for the first team and under 21s the other day. I think he should be back in contention for, if not Brentford, then Everton. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other young players we might see go out. Iago Santiago, maybe, if a good deal comes up. You've also got this kind of thing of they need development and first team game time, but also the under-21s are flying as well. It's a little bit like, do you want to rip everything out of that team? Because if they you know, finish in the top six, which they should do, they've won 11 in a row, um, I think they qualify for this new this competition next season where they're playing against teams in Europe, a little bit like a Champions League-style thing. Um, so, yeah, you don't really want to weaken all your teams that are flying for the academy as well, because that would be very cool to have both your academy teams going to win. I know results and winning isn't the be-all and end-all when you're in academy and development and all that, but it would look pretty cool, especially as it got relegated last year and just happened to uh, the rules stop that. So, yeah, I think that's what we're thinking outgoing. Hoybier, like I say, it would have to be a significant movement in the final few days from a club that puts proper money down and an obligation to buy if they're going to loan him. Um, otherwise, Emerson been linked with the Saudi Pro League. I asked Ange about that the other day. He pretty much said, no, like, he's an important player for us. You know, he's proven how kind of important he is in terms of his versatility. I'm trying to think there's anyone else at all. I don't think there is. Skippy's not going to go on loan this month. Um, certainly, that's not his intention anyway. I think that's it. Unless... Would you look at Valise maybe going somewhere? I, I think you need him for cover, don't you? I think you do. Uh, I think, let's be honest, Spurs have done the vast majority of the transfer business already in terms of outgoings. What, we had yeah. 10? One, <laughs> one, one, yeah, one permanent, one in Hugo going to LAFC and yeah. then nine loan deals. Uh, no, I think Valise stays for cover. Uh, Dane Scarlett's for cover as well. <laughs> On the subject of Dane Scarlett, if he'd stayed at Ipswich for a couple more weeks, he'd probably played a bit more because they've had an injury to their main striker. I think one of their strikers had actually moved out on loan. They're looking at bringing in another two. So maybe if they hung on a couple more weeks, he probably yeah. would have got a bit more game time. But I think there'll probably be a few opportunities here and there for him, just in terms of maybe 
you know, five or ten minutes here and there in the few games if Spurs are needing a goal. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um yeah, I, I think I think the squad is kind of almost set now for the rest of the season, barring a late surprise, which Spurs are quite capable of, you know, pulling off. And uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens. With obviously, Mana Solomon is going to be a big one. We've, we've kind of almost he's been forgotten about, hasn't he? Because he he started so well, a little bright kind of cameos. Then he did um, started and played well against Burnley, uh, and then obviously that knee injury, which I think he's just being very careful with. He, he's had a Similar injury in the other knee last season, and he's just very wary of coming back in too soon. Um, so, yeah, I think he's still got a part to play in this season, and as, as certainly as an option from the bench as well. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll see what the next few days brings us. Finally, on transfers, you mentioned at the start of the podcast about Jack Clark. Potentially, if there's a move there for Jack away from Sunderland, uh, Lazio have been, you know, linked with a what would be an incredible move for the player. He'd be playing Champions League football against Bayern Munich up against Harry Kane and Eric Dyer if the move went through. I think been linked with West Ham and Crystal Palace as well. Yeah. If there is yeah. going to be a move for him away from the Stadium of Light, there is a sell-on clause and Tottenham will get a portion of that deal. Yeah, yeah, I'm delighted for Jack Clark. I really am because it just, just got written off, didn't he, so quickly and... It just sometimes stuff doesn't. It just doesn't work for players at certain points in their career at certain clubs, and they have to go away. And you know, we've seen so many not big players. Like I mean, you know, De Bruyne and Salah at Chelsea. I'm not saying he's the same league as them, uh, level as them, but you know, you've seen. It doesn't matter who you are. Just a certain time at a certain club can maybe not work out for you, and you've got to go elsewhere and build your career up. And it feels like Jack Clark is doing that. Um, I would be surprised if Sunderland let him go this month. I think the lateness of it in the window and however much the money is to try and replace him in this amount of time would be too difficult. Lazio has shown a big interest. Um, I think they've had a bid rejected. Still continue to be interested, but I can't, I'd be surprised if they're able to, to prize him away at this point in the window. Um, there was talk that the deal might be worth between 10 and £15 million. Pounds. Um, as we reported earlier this month, Spurs sold him for around £750,000, but with a 25% sell-on clause. So whenever he does move on, um, presumably you'd think maybe the summer now, um, you know, if if uh, Sunderland are probably going to want a little bit of a bidding war because they're getting less for him, they're only getting 75% of the fee, that kind of benefits Spurs. The more clubs that are kind of fighting for him, the more their little chunk of it's going to be. Um, I was trying to think what they signed him for. It was about nine million in all. I think it was it was touted in double figures, but I think that was with loads of add-ons that probably never happened. Um, so yeah, whether they're going to remake, um, recoup their money or not is one thing. Uh, you'd imagine not. I think that they guess... about forty million. Would there something like that for Spurs to yeah. get a million back? It's just <laughs> yes. not going to happen. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I mean. He's had a fair few loan spells as well where they would have got bits of money back, um, whether it be just saving in salary or whether it be in a little loan fee. Um, but yeah, I don't know if they're going to end up with a profit on Jack Clark, but certainly will we'll make a chunk of their money back, hopefully. And just, yeah, really hope he going and goes on and does really well for himself. Um, I've watched a fair bit of him this season. Um, Sunderland matches that I've kind of seen. And uh, yeah, especially earlier in the season, he was just flying. Um, and he's, 
yeah, terrific season for him. His numbers are excellent. And uh, yeah, all the best to him. But like I said, I don't know if it will be this month. Um, it would be incredible if he was suddenly playing Champions League football for, for Lazio. That would be remarkable. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, he, he's. I remember um, kind of doing a little Q&A with him a couple of months back where he was talking about kind of learning from the likes of Bale and Kane and Son and the brilliant education he had at Spurs. So while it didn't in the moment benefit him, now I think you're seeing that sort of fruits of the um, the amazing classroom almost that he had with the the older students around him. And uh, yeah, no, I hope, it, I hope he goes on and does very well. Right. Before we move on to the Man City game, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Of course. If you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world and that means there's no buffering, there's no lagging and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's a service I've used so many years in so many different countries, whether it be through work or just one of the very few holidays I have in a year, unlike uh, Robert Guest, Um, you know, just using it to be able to watch stuff um, that I would normally watch at home. And it allows you to set your device to think it's back in the UK so you can get around pesky kind of restrictions that just stop you watching things you paid for um, when you're abroad. Or the flip side is you can also use it to uh use the internet or view things that might be from another country that you couldn't ordinarily watch in the uk um and so it means like the outlay on a nordvpn subscription is cheaper for you in the long run because of that that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings maybe from other countries at a much cheaper rate so for example you could book flights from other countries and that could be cheaper too so you're paying out for nord but you're actually saving money overall there's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Let's discuss Friday evening's 1-0 defeat against Man City then in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Uh Slender loss for Spurs with City getting that winner two minutes from time. Nathan Ake uh, scoring from basically what, a yard out. There's been a bit of a big talking point whether the goal should have stood or not. Ali, your view on it? Now uh, Your view first, and then I'll give you mine. <laughs> okay, my view is there was nothing wrong with it. That was a perfectly uh, legitimate goal. Uh, for me, I know people are going on about a bit of pushing between Vicario and Diaz, which was the case just prior to De Bruyne swinging in the corner, but that was basically, it was both of them pushing. And once the ball comes in, Diaz is in front of Vicario challenging for the ball. There's nothing wrong with it. I think there's so much protection around the goalkeepers uh, from set pieces. It's ridiculous. Uh just going back to, I think there was one in the Man City Liverpool game, probably October, November time, where Allison was like barely touched and they gave uh, a foul. And I think, was it a Kanji who had scored maybe or someone like that? And it was this loud. For me, there's nothing wrong with it. And I know it went against Spurs on Friday, but you know, credit to the referee and those in VAR for giving it because there was nothing wrong with it. And if you were City, you'd be absolutely fuming if that was disallowed. And let's be honest, if 
that was Romero who challenged Ortega in goal, and it was Van der Ven who put it in. I think 99.9% of Tottenham fans would have said goal. Nothing wrong with it. So you can't work both ways, you know. <laughs> For me, nothing wrong with it at all, and I'm sure you agree. <laughs> I could just I could lie now and say no 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 you're completely wrong. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. I do agree. Um, it's quite funny looking at the kind of the way it's been taken. Everyone in the press box felt it was not a foul. Um, every journalist I've spoken to since doesn't think it's a foul. Um, but obviously, it's very difficult. I think when you're a football fan, you can un- you can see the ways it would have been given as a fan, and I can understand where the frustration comes from because I think City were doing it a fair bit during the game. They were trying to block off Vicario and impede him from from getting to the ball uh, at uh, set pieces. But I am with you. I just kind of feel like, uh, was it enough contact? Was it a really... I, I do agree with you. I don't want them to go back to the, you know, the, the, the old days of football when you could absolutely batter the goalkeeper into the goal. It kind of makes me think of escape to victory. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone being whacked into the goal with the ball. Uh, I know that wasn't real football. Um, but I also do feel like now is this mad situation where you can't even challenge a goalkeeper for a ball in the air. And, you know, you talk about Romero at the other end, but I'd also say if that was Romero challenging with Diaz for a header in the Spurs box, there would have been no discussion about that. That would have been uh, like, oh, but he, he was going back into him trying to head the ball. It's like, well, no, he's just challenging for the ball. I just, yeah, I can understand where the frustration comes from. But for me, I don't think it's channeled in the right direction there. I think talking of Romero, Romero having seen Diaz doing that a few times. And even, I think there's one moment where he looks back at it. I think Romero, who's a little bit ball watching for that goal, maybe he could have inserted himself between the two of them and maybe caused a problem for Diaz and stopped him kind of blocking off. He could have done that. Um, I'd say if you're looking for a foul, Richarlison gets a proper shove from Ake just before, as the ball's coming in. And that actually gives Ake then the space to, to put the loose ball in. Um, but yeah, the actual moment itself, I can understand why Spurs fans are are unhappy with it. But I think if you're taking a completely objective view at it, I think it's tough to say that that shouldn't have stood. And like you say, if that had happened at the other end, I would be fuming if that got ruled out um, because it would have been, yeah, ridiculous. So, and you know, Vicario, who has been brilliant this season, could he have got a little bit more on his punch, maybe? Um, you could argue that if he's being backed into that, that's you know, that it's probably unlikely he was able to, but it did end up, you know, he kind of shocked Van de Ven, he like whacks it onto his back, and Van de Ven's like, What? What's just happened? Turns around, and because Ake's facing the ball, he's able to, to touch it into the net. So, um, would Spurs have deserved the point? Eh, no, sorry, the point, the, the, uh, the replay, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew I was gonna say point, deserve to have a replay. Probably not on the balance of play. They defended well, but yeah, I, you know, I can imagine people listening to this right now going, "Oh, you two, we hate you!" Kind of thing. How dare you say it wasn't a foul? Um, because I've seen lots of reasoned arguments for why it should have been a foul. Um, someone actually mentioned, I don't know how true it is, whether they actually changed the rule mid-season on the impeding of goalkeepers, which is why that was ruled out in the Liverpool City game and wasn't now. 
I don't know about that. That's, 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 that's un- unsubstantiated gossip by me thrown in there. But yeah, I'd. I think that's for me a little bit one of those. If that is given as a foul, you know, it's the old classic. A classic. One of our colleagues used to say, "The game's gone." I kind of feel like if 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 we are looking at that, um, and it doesn't matter that it happened to Spurs. I, I like I said, I'd be as annoyed if it was at the other end. Um, but yeah, did you think they would have deserved a replay anyway? Uh, no, I thought City were the better team on the day. Yeah. I thought City were, to be honest, I thought they were brilliant uh, at times. And this is Pep Guardiola's Man City team without Kevin De Bruyne in the starting eleven, without Erling Haaland up front as well. Yeah, they caused Tottenham uh, a lot of problems and Spurs just couldn't, just never got going. And I think that was just down to how City played as well. They made life incredibly difficult for them. I think Tottenham had one shot on goal all game, which was Brennan Johnson's effort, which, let's be honest, was a bit of a stabbed effort. There wasn't really a lot he could have done with that just because Ortega was so advanced and basically on him by the time uh, the ball was at his feet. Uh, Yeah, it was just really frustrating and disappointing from a Tottenham perspective because we know what an Ange Postacoglu football team uh, delivers uh, in an attacking sense and that just wasn't to be the case. Maybe they did miss Son because, you know, he has just been an incredible weapon to use against Man City in recent years and they absolutely hate coming up against him because he always just seems to score. But, yeah, just really, really disappointed uh, from Spurs on the day. But let's be honest, they're coming up against the best team in the world in Man City. He was just one of those nights and yeah it's a real shame they're out of the cup because you thought this year the way they're playing they could probably have a really good crack at it if only gary mavitt <laughs> drew another ball out of that uh bag in the uh round four drawer instead but it's just the way it goes so you're blaming gary mavitt for this i'm not i'm sure some might point <laughs> fingers at gary mavitt for the draw but uh city, city deserved it on the day i thought they were really good yeah yeah, it's. I think it says a lot about how my expectations have raised um, under Postecoglou's kind of, or in his reign, that um, I was a bit disappointed with the performance. Um, look, mass, credit to Man City, they're a terrific side. And as Ange did say afterwards, you know, they're eight, nine years down in their pro, uh, process. And they're, they're kind of almost pretty much the finished article, whereas Spurs are six months old under him. Um but I still wanted to see a bit more of a Postacoglu Tottenham, a braver Tottenham. Um, and yes, City played their part in, in pinning them back for long periods. But I think one shot on goal was a little bit, uh, you know, and I've seen differing versions of views on this as well. I, I've seen people saying, you know, you can't get too disappointed because it is City. But I think from that press conference, sat there, you know, whatever it was, eight, ten feet in front of him in the press conference room, Postacoglu was disappointed. He was. You could tell. He he was he wasn't happy with the lack of um yeah, risk taking, attempts to be creative, and looking to try to break through the city lines. And they did well at points under the press, you know, city press man to man. Um, and Spurs did well in moments to get around it, but I just didn't feel they did enough. Like you say, missing Sonny massively. Uh it would have been great had Madison been maybe a week fitter. 
just so that he could come in from the start because you could tell as soon as he, he only touched the ball six times when he came on, he wasn't ready to for a game of that ferocity and and pace. Um, and yeah, again, I, I just I do think it points towards how far they've come. That I was disappointed that they didn't lay more than a kind of one glove on um, Man City. And yes, they've beaten them before many times in recent years. And and yes, that was their first goal, City, in about well five years almost, isn't it? The um, six at attempts, the I think. Yeah, yeah. I think they've had over a hundred shots at goal at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. This was the first time one had gone in, and it had to be a really scruffy, rubbish goal as well. Um, but yeah, it just. It didn't quite work for me on the day. And it was a kind of a more of a refresh Spurs as well, which maybe made it a little bit more disappointing. It wasn't even during that run when they were really... I mean, they went to the Etihad, you know, with with not even a proper defence and so many players missing um, and managed to score three goals. And, you know, I'm not debating the fact that City should have blown away in the first half at the Etihad, but they still had the attacking ability. Although, yes, you could argue they had Lacelso and Son that day to uh, both played uh, very well. Um, and yes, Son is a key missing piece. Um, City is so scared of him. It's just every time he runs at them, they look terrified. Um, and the service just into the forwards wasn't didn't really work. The link between the midfield and the attack wasn't there. They could have used the pace that you had in uh, Johnson and Werner down the flanks. Didn't really use them. Werner especially, there were so many times when he was looking to make a run in behind and no one played the ball through. Benton Kerr was a little bit, off his game, didn't look sharp, which again is understandable with the lack of football he's had this last year. Hoybier, you get such a mixed bag of Hoybier. Sometimes he'll play the most perfect, incisive through ball, and in the next moment he'll hesitate, turn around and pass the ball sideways to someone when there was a ball to be played. Um, yeah, it just didn't really work. And Kudusevsky was very quiet. That's probably the quietest I've seen Kudusevsky in that deeper role. Um yeah, I mean, who, I think there's one obvious name, but who impressed you on the night? Uh, I think Van der Ven had a really good yeah. showing at the back, made some important tackles that block on Julian Alvarez at the back post when he was in acres of space and looked like he was ready to convert. And Van der Ven somehow got in and, uh, you know, managed to get a vital touch on the ball. I thought he was really good. I thought Richarlison did okay up front. I thought he battled well, held the ball up, you know, tried to make life difficult for him, but he just got no service. And I know a lot of people have criticised Hybeg, but I thought he was one of Spurs' better players on the night. I thought he was the best midfielder by far. I thought During Deke... the middle period, I felt. <laughs> I, Start I thought, not thought, so good, end not so good. Middle period, I thought he played very well. I thought Hybeg, for first 80 minutes, I thought it was really good. I think he used the ball well at, at times. There was a couple of those when he played some really progressive passes through to Timo Werner. They yeah. won in each half. I know everyone's got a point at the mistakes he made, you know, in the between the 80th and 90th minute. That air kick, what allowed ben, Bernardo Silva to have it. An attempt then when he was caught dallying on the ball in that presented Kevin De Bruyne with an opportunity that he should have scored. That was very unlike him. And I know the focus will be on those mistakes, but prior to that, I thought he was good. Yeah. Uh, I don't entirely agree. I agree with you definitely in that middle period. I thought it's funny because we were having a conversation about him and I was saying, oh, he's been really 
kind of shying away from getting some of those passes at the back and, and not playing it out. And literally, as I said that, he did a really nice move through the middle, didn't he, and set up an he attack. Did. So, yeah. Do you know what I think was quite key for him? He There was a little break in play when one of the um, assistant referees had an issue with his mic pack on his back. Uh, and during that period, Hoybier came over to the touchline to get a drink and um, Postacoglu came over and had a real chat about with him. And you could see he was kind of making, this is only for our YouTube viewers, he was doing this with his hands if to say, I want you to come back more, come and get the ball kind of thing. That's what it looked like. Or at least get others to do it as well. And from that moment on until those couple of mistakes at the end, yeah, I'd agree. I think beyond Van de Ven, I thought he was probably the best player yeah. on the pitch at that point. But then obviously had a few... Uh, iffy moments um and that pass i was trying to think could i justify that misplaced pass that ended with the de bruyne shot wide could i justify that as a oh Ange would have been happy with that because it was trying to do something i don't think so because it was like almost like a backwards pass it wasn't like taking the ball on being progressive with the passing um so yeah do you know what i thought skippy came on and did quite well Nice little cameo when he came on. Did a lovely turn at the entire stadium, like ooh, kind of thing. No one expected it. It was like a really cool, um, like it's like a step over, drag back, all in one. It was very nice. Um, he did well in that, and you could, for me, and this is only my personal opinion. And people think, oh, it's gold going on about Skip again, but I kind of feel like I would have preferred Skip in the number six role on Friday night. I just feel like it would have freed up Bentenker to kind of do what he does a little bit more. And maybe even, you know, Hoibi or Kudusevsky, whoever's there. I just feel like if if you're asking me between... Because Ho- Hoibier was in the number six role. It wasn't Bentenker. At times it was Hoibier and Bentenker with Kudusevsky ahead of them. But mainly it was Hoibier coming back into that role. I'm probably more comfortable with Skip coming back to collect that ball and playing the first time passes out to the flanks than I am with Hoibier. Um, so, yeah, maybe. I mean, that may be what we see against Brentford, perhaps. Um Otherwise, Van der Ven. Van der Ven was brilliant. Van der Ven was so good. Uh, Romero was able to be caught out a few times up the pitch because he knew Van der Ven was mopping up behind him. He was superb. I thought Destiny Doggy defended pretty well. Um, I thought yeah. going forward, he had a few little runs where he maybe could have made a better decision at the end of it, but he, he defended well. Porro was a bit of a disappointment in terms of his attacking play. Set pieces and passing were great. I would say... That was maybe the biggest disappointment going forward is that he and Kudusevsky were the ones that were meant to provide the creativity. And both of them, I looked at their passing stats and they were both the lowest on the pitch, their success rate of passing. Um, that was quite key. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those where I don't want to kind of sound too negative and disappointed in it because we can see what's happening with Spurs. We can see what's happening under Postacoglu. And this was a bit of a just a bad day at the office. Um, and they haven't had too many this season. But I do feel like, especially being City's bogey side and having done well against them earlier in the season, I still think they could have laid more than that one glove on them during the, the game. Yeah. Uh, someone else who was pleased with, with their performance was Timo Werner. I know he didn't see a lot of the ball, but what he did off the ball in terms of his movement was really good. Some mm-hmm. of those runs fantastic. I just can't understand why he wasn't picked out. There was, I think pretty much the first example was one when Kulaseski had it down the left flank and just needed to play it round the fullback. Uh, but for whatever reason, he turned back on himself and went into yeah. trouble. 
there was a couple of occasions with Kulaseski when he didn't release Werner at the right time. I think Benson Kerr had one when he chose to pass to Destiny Doggy in the middle instead when Werner had made a good run. But I think seeing a glimpse of what Werner is going to offer Spurs on the left with these really good runs, he just needs to be picked out because it can be, you know, a big, big weapon uh, for Spurs going forward. What did you think of Brendan Johnson? Struggled again, really. Uh, It's just said it before, after the Man U game, you know there's a really, really good player in there, but he's just not taking on his man maybe when he should. And his confidence levels are a bit low. Uh, I personally probably wouldn't have started him. Uh, against City in the Cup I think maybe the opportunity is there to rest him in midweek or the weekend I think Spurs can get an awful lot more out of him he just needs to show in it's frustrating really because he's a very talented player but some fans are just you know getting on his back a bit now aren't they especially on social media he seems to be a bit of a scapegoat which is unfortunate I was going to say, did you see he turned off replies on his Instagram post now? No, I've not seen that. Yeah, Shame. Yeah, It is. It's one of those things. That, and look, it's not exclusive to Spurs. Other clubs do it as well. It's so such a shame when a player feels they have to do that. Um, I saw a great tweet the other day that, um, I can't remember who did it, that wouldn't it be wonderful if you could transplant Pierre-Emil Hoybier's amazing self-confidence into Brendan Johnson because he would be an incredible player. Um, yeah, I um, yeah, I, I can understand the the uh, the idea behind that because I do think he is suffering a little bit at the moment with his confidence. Um, it just isn't quite working for him. He's not flying at players. He's doing a little bit like. I wanted Cess to do in the past, I've said, as, as you know you've got the pace, you know you've got the ability to absolutely tear a defender apart, but you're not going for it. And I wonder whether there's a, a fear of like the previous hamstring problem that he had, Brennan Johnson, earlier in the season. I don't know. Um, but he, yeah, he's got all the ability in the world. And when Sonny is back, you know, he's going to probably find himself out of the team if the front three we think will probably be Kudasevsky, Richardson and Son. So, He's going to have to take any little moment he can. And again, we're not writing him off at all. He just needs one moment to click for him. I think that's all it is. We've seen, you know, we saw him destroy Carl Walker at the Etihad and get that late cross in for Kudusevsky. Uh, We've seen him set up Richarlison for a couple of goals. Um, We've seen him do it. It's just, um, yeah, very young player. He's still 22 years old, isn't he? Yeah. 22, yeah. Yeah. And he's... uh, He's playing for his first like, big club, really, on a, on a regular kind of big occasions. And, yeah, it's just something he's going to adapt to. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not too concerned by it. I just think uh, it would be good for him if he could get something that gives him a bit of a confidence boost. Um, just to mention uh, very quickly, um, only because I've just seen it come up um, and I kind of had it confirmed as a possibility as well. Dan Kilpatrick's written a little piece that Spurs might, because of the, the lack of obviously an FA Cup final to look forward to now, may go on a post-season mini trip to Melbourne uh, to play a game as, as the Ange fever taking advantage of it. Um, from what I understand, yeah, nothing agreed at this point, but it is a, a possibility that Spurs are exploring right now. So, uh, yeah, it's... Um, 
I guess they, they've done it before, haven't they? Um, I remember I think Hong Kong a few years back, they did a post season one. Um, was that when Vincent Janssen lifted the trophy? <laughs> was, was that, that post season? Was that pre season? I can't remember. Celebrated. Now. <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember which one that was, but he definitely did that. Um, and then we had, I think it was Malaysia and Sydney back in 2015. It's it's one of those difficult ones, isn't it? It's brilliant for the fans over there. It'll be brilliant for the club in terms of revenue. Do the players probably really want to, after the end of a season, and especially when you know a fair few of them will be going on to uh, Euros, Copa America, and others have got international uh, commitments as well just in, in in one or two games do they really want to be heading straight off to around the world i doubt it but hey you know it's it's the modern way of football i suppose the only worry with those is picking up needless injuries because happened with ruben loftus cheek uh at chelsea a few years ago i think they had a post match post season match in america and i don't think the pitch was great at all and he, I think it was Achilles injury he got, and yeah, I don't think a lot were uh, impressed about that at all. And yeah, like you said, it's not one I don't think the players will be right keen on, especially those who are going to the Euros. And I think the international managers might have something to say about that uh, yes. as well. Right, just going back to the City game quickly, I know a bit of a talking point after the game was the break Andrew Postacoglu's players had uh, the weekend before the City game. Do you have an issue with that or not? I'm disgusted by it. No. Um, <laughs> I, oh, it's one with hindsight, isn't it? Yeah. With hindsight, you can find fault in anything, I think. Um, if they'd you know, won or got a replay, there's suddenly no problem with it. Um, I, think, I think we discussed this, didn't we, that four days kind of took them up to maybe only then having Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday to prepare for the game because Thursday is more like a light tactical session. So I was maybe, the only thing I'd say is maybe I was a little bit surprised they didn't have the time off slightly earlier in the week before. Um, do I think it was a contributing factor to them not playing particularly well against City? No, I don't think so. I think they just gave City a bit too much respect and, and froze a little bit and City played very well. Um, but uh, no, I, I'm not going to... Postacoglu's done a, a lot right. I don't think I'm going to stick that in the um, in the mark against him column, uh, really, because a lot of those players needed a rest. They desperately needed a rest. They were knackered. Um, and it's not like they headed off across the world and, and played like a postseason friendly. <laughs> they, they just got headed off and, and relaxed and... Uh, yeah, no, I've got no real issues with that. Yeah, same for me. I think beginning of the previous week, they'd have done a bit of work on the City game and there's still adequate time last week leading up to the cup match, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and a bit of Thursday uh, for the preparation. So, no, uh, as you said, it's probably just one of these what's been brought up because of the result. And let's be honest, with a midweek game this week, what they're going to have? Are they really going to have any preparation time for the Everton game on the yeah. Saturday? If your matches the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it's not exactly going to be taxing, is it, on the training pitch? Because yeah. you need a bit of rest and recovery. And I mean, let's be honest, this is what it's pretty much been like for Spurs over the past couple of seasons with European matches in midweek. This is 
a very rare season for Spurs where really they have a week between games to prepare. It's not always the case. It's usually just a few days. So for me, no issue with that at all. No, I don't think so. Um, I think we'll see. Uh, it's the one, look, everyone wanted a trophy. No one wanted to be out of the cup competitions at all. Um, you know, they're not for building egos, winning these trophies. They are things that the club like Spurs, you know, it'll be 17 years next year since they last won a trophy. But if you're going to have to take anything you can from the current situation, it is that, yes, these weeks ahead are going to provide them with a lot of recovery time, a lot of time on the Hotspur Wade training pitches to make sure they're ready for this uh, these final 17 games. Like you say, there's a few of them that are coming in a bit of a cluster. But on the whole, and also five home games, is it, no, four home games out of five coming up, um, I think it is. It would, it's five and yeah. six yeah. with the City game. Um, Spurs have got all the... Kind of ability, uh, so all the potential now to go on a bit of a, a momentum building run uh, towards the business end of the season. And it's like all the players are saying now, focus on the league, get the best out of it, and then learn next season that you've got to be able to play across all competitions. Yeah. On Friday, aside from the FA Cup match between Tottenham and Man City, there was a bit of a big story in the world of football, and that was, was Jurgen really? Klopp. Yeah. Apparently, all over the news, all day. It's continued oh. ever since. So, What's he done then? Well, he's decided to leave Liverpool uh, um. for whatever reason. Uh, so, yeah, Klopp's going, and that has obviously seen some people mention Ange Postacoglu with the Liverpool job. And I think there was a report in the Telegraph as well as Ange being a potential dark horse for Pep Guardiola's job at Man City if he doesn't. Renew his contract at the Etihad, which I believe expires in 2025. So I think you mentioned this in your talking points, didn't you? Uh, from the City game that, you know, there's no fears at Spurs with Ange leaving early for one of these two jobs. No. And it's funny that, because I, I had loads of people asking me, like, you know, is he going? He's not going to go, is he? So I kind of, you know, asked around, asked, asked kind of people around him, asked within the club as well. And yeah, there's no fear of him leaving early. You know, he's, he's still kind of the early days of a project that he's really excited about. You know, he was only talking on Thursday in the press conference about how that break we were just talking about with the players, he spent it starting to plan for the structure for the future at the club and the things he wanted to do inside the club. So yeah, he's absolutely not thinking about elsewhere right now. Um, and the trouble is that then gets taken in isolation and like there were tweets out there like Alistair Gold says no fears within the club that he'll leave and and suddenly a load of Celtic fans went, oh, we know differently kind of thing. And I would say, I can understand if you're a Celtic fan, yeah, you're going to be very upset that Postacoglu left you. I understand it as, you know, any Spurs manager leaving the club, um, Spurs fans would be. But I would say, bit of a different scenario in terms of he'd won five trophies in two years at Celtic. He'd won everything domestically, like a world record eighth um, uh, treble, domestic treble he'd won with Celtic. Yeah, of course, they could have done a bit better in Europe and that maybe would have been the next part of the plan. But yeah, I kind of feel like in terms of the football ladder, he'd, he'd kind of done most of what he could at Celtic then. Um, whereas with Spurs, yeah, you could argue Liverpool is would of course would be a step up in terms of their recent history, and City of course would be a step up in that regard. But from everything I kind of understand about Postecoglou is that he's very keen to repay 
people that given him an opportunity. Um, and he can see there's, there's a lot of potential at Spurs as well to create a club where he um, shapes the club rather than a club that he'll go to and just be a part of. Um, and, you know, he, this could be Poster, you know, Poster Coglu Hotspur, essentially. It can be whatever he wants it to be. Um, and I think there's a certain excitement about that and what he can do. So, yeah, I understand the Celtic fans laughing about the possibility of, oh, yeah, he's not going to go anywhere. Of course he is. He's going to leave you. Um, because I would be angry and bitter if I had you know, lost Postacoglu as well, because, you know, he's clearly a terrific manager. Um, but, yeah, there seems to be no fear, um, certainly around the club at this current time, that they're going to lose him in the summer or anything. And um, and like some Spurs fans get very annoyed at even the mention of it. Like, why are you even mentioning that? It's like, well, no, we're just responding to, having to respond because some people are worried because they've seen other reports. I think the Liverpool links are purely because he was a Liverpool fan as a kid. I don't think there's any much more to that. Um, I'm sure they'll look at him as a potential option. Um, but as he said before, you know, he had posters of the Fonz on his wall. Um, he loves happy days. Doesn't mean that, uh, you know, what the, that he still does that. He still has those posters on his wall. Um, I think he said that, didn't he, before the, the game against Liverpool earlier in the season. And with City... I mean, even Pep said after the match in his presser on Friday night that he might actually extend his stay beyond 2025. You know, he's quite, he's feeling quite fit and refreshed. He's not really at the stage that Klopp's found himself where he's just getting a bit knackered with it all. I saw a stat that said something like, Jurgen Klopp has not been out of work as a player or a manager for more than three months since, I think it was 1990 or 1993. So I can kind of understand what he's like, whew, could do a little break. Um... Yeah, so uh, I, I can understand where the links have come from. But yeah, maybe see in a couple of years. I would say that Postacoglu's CV does not suggest someone that sticks around for a long time. It may be that he breaks that with Spurs. It may be that he's waiting to reach this rung of the football ladder and that each job beforehand has been a natural step up. And again, people could rightly say, well, maybe Liverpool City is that. Um, but yeah, I, I think we've got Postacoglu for a little while longer to... Uh, to uh, enjoy. Yeah. Uh, I think at Celtic, it was a one-year rolling contract, wasn't it, as well? So that yeah. always opened the possibility for him to That's leave true, yeah. Spurs. It's four-year contract. So, yeah. right, we'll move on to Wednesday's game against Brentford. Going to be a bit of a tough one against the Bees because they've got a decent record against Spurs in the Premier League. Uh Quite a lot of draws, uh, especially in West London. Then last season, I think it was Harry Kane's final Premier League game at home, wasn't it? When he scored that free kick, but they still lost. Was it 3-1? And that virtually ended all hopes of a European place. Uh, it's going to be a tricky one, especially with Ivan Turney coming back and making his mark against Nottingham Forest last time out. So two games this week, Brentford and Everton. Does Ange change it in terms of his team? Yeah. <laughs> I think Madison starts. Yeah. Right. I think Madison has to... At that point, with another four or five days under his belt, I think they gear him up to start this game and, and you could see how much they kind of need him. Um, like I say, I wouldn't be stunned if Skip starts as well, just to give a little bit of extra legs in that midfield. Um, so if you're doing that... Yeah, Johnson probably comes out then, doesn't he? Maybe Hoybier comes out as well. Um, 
it's a difficult one as well because obviously if there is any speculation around Hoybier's future being like January the 31st, the game as well, probably maybe that might play a part. I don't know whether Postacoglu buys into all of that or not. Um, and Hoybier, to be fair, he seems a bit quite a professional. He's not like the kind of guy I think he's going to pull out of challenges or anything like that because he, you know, there is talk that he might go somewhere. Elsewhere, yeah, I think that's it. I think those are the two changes. What would you do? I'd give rather Dragasin a start. I think That's not there's, a bad shout. There's got to be an opportunity for him at some point because he needs to get Premier League experience under his belt. So given it's two games in one week, I'd start him in one of the games and I'd probably go for the Brentford one. I think starting at home would be a bit easier than maybe starting away at Everton because Goodison, you know, can be a bit of a intimidating place at times when the crowd get up so I'd go for Dragerson to start maybe over Van der Ven I know Van der Ven did so so well the other day but Romero's captain isn't he while Sonny's off he he was suffering some cramp at the end of the game though Romero yeah Uh, one of those two I think I'd give Dragerson an opportunity Ange made it clear didn't he in his press conference, I think, ahead of the Man U game that, you know, he's got three quality centre-backs on his hands now and there's going to be times where he wants to change it and needs to manage the fitness levels, especially with Romero and, and Van der Ven just coming back from injury as well. And I think you've just got to realise Dragerson's not been signed to be their deputy, has he? Uh, he's just yeah. going to sit on the bench all this time. He's someone who's going to challenge those two players for the first-team spot and make them better players so there are going to be opportunities where he comes in and given a lot of Spurs of football between now and the end of the season there's going to be a week between games and you're thinking Andrew's just going to go strongest 11 week in week out maybe this midweek slot is the one where Dragerson comes in it's a great shout it's a great honestly I'd, I'd forgot about that yeah um you're right I think out of this little run of three and uh yeah eight nine days or so it is probably eight days yeah it is the one i think at home i it's difficult which one comes out i mean he can can play left or right of the defense of the of the two yeah yeah oh do you know what i had in my head that maybe romero would be the one to come out but you probably do need his leadership back there don't you um oh that's, that's not a bad show at all I don't know why Sam's surprised that you've made a great shout. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounded far too surprised. Um, yeah, that would make perfect sense. Um, get him in there, get him experience in front of the, the home crowd as a starter. Um, yeah, that's not a bad shout at all. Because um, those two players have come back after not playing much football at all. Can you see him going to the back three at any point with those three? No. No, I think he said that in his pre-match press conference head of Man U. Wouldn't really be switching to a back three. I think probably the only occasion where we might see it is at the end of games, maybe where Spurs need to hold on to a lead or something like that, or maybe to get Poro and a doggy a bit higher up the pitch. But mm. no, I think it will be a back four as usual. I don't see him reverting to a back three. I don't think he's really done that in the past either sometimes yeah it's not been a regular feature i'm like you i think during games um we might see it as he's trying to adjust his tactics a little bit but yeah i'd I'd be surprised if he starts too many games like that if at all 
Um, yeah, it's a great shout, Dragashin. Um, might be a good question for me tomorrow at the presser, just to ask him, you know, is, is this the kind of uh, game where you uh, start getting him some, some game time? Because obviously, um, yeah, it's quite a set back two, isn't it, in a way, those those central pairing. Um, yeah, not a bad shout. I'll say, Guesty says, <laughs> Guesty says, should you start Radu tomorrow? See what he says. Yeah, I think as well as Dragashin, I think Madison comes in. Uh, Kuliseski moves over to the right to give Johnson a bit of a break. Yeah, I think probably two or three changes. And I think he needs to do that, really, just to freshen it up uh, a bit two games in next to no time, uh, really. So, right, I think that's it for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot- Tottenham. Uh, will we be back end of this week? Maybe. Will we be back? I thought you were just put that. Will we <laughs> ever be back? Um, oh, yeah. Depends. I mean, yeah. probably have to do Depends. like a transfer window roundup as well as talking about the Brentford game. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously preview Saturday's game at Goodison Park and early start. Right. Go so, with the guest derby. Yeah, it is. Big one. Big one. Right, that's it for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Top Tottenham as ever. Thank you for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Subscribe our huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest. You can receive an extra four months for free and there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box.